I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers, and just plain cool people about music. Our guest on this episode is actor, producer, director, and activist Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna's career has seen her move seamlessly back and forth between film and television with a long list of credits that includes movies like Desperately Seeking Susan, Pulp Fiction, and Crash. Television show credits include Will and Grace, What About Brian, The L Word, and Ray Donovan, and she has produced and directed the documentaries Searching for Deborah Winger and All We Are Saying. As an activist, Rosanna was front and center at the Me Too movement, uh, speaking with Ronan Farrow and Jody Cantor for The New Yorker and The New York Times, respectively, about her own experiences and Harvey Weinstein's misconduct. We're speaking today, just a few days after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, effectively ending the right to abortion in the United States. Rosanna, welcome. And before we start talking about music, how are you? And as a woman and as an activist, what kind of conversations have you been having with friends and colleagues around? this in the last few days with some of the most incredible women and activists around the world um and women in the streets everywhere we're enraged in, in, a, in a way that is you know going to be put towards action in a huge way i don't know how this is going to be sustainable for them to do that but it's a, it's a fury like i've never felt in my life and it's heartbreaking it's tragic and it's it cannot stand you know like so i guess there'll be some major consequences um for for the people who made this this decision ultimately and white men and some really horrible women a <laughs> couple couple horrible women uh that would make this choice uh we're 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 gonna vote we're getting we're we're going to we're going to register people to vote everybody's gonna vote and what's inspiring right now is like because i've come a child of the you know activist parents in the 60s and Vietnam anti-Vietnam War marches and love-ins and peace-ins and it was a really different vibe and our kids with social media and this violence that they have to grow up with and this rage is horrible for our kids you have a young daughter I have a daughter um it's it's terrible for them but what I'm seeing is the young people are very smart they're inspired and there's a lot of young people that are um activists that are care about their planet know what they have, they're up against and are willing to fight. You mentioned coming from uh, parents who are activists uh, and you, you grew up in a family where both parents were involved in the arts. Uh, what kind of house did, did you grow up in? What kind of kid were you? Well, I mean, there were no rules. There were no discipline. There was, well, discipline in that anything that like structure, I would say there was no structure. Um, just kind of, eat, you know, there wasn't a dinner time. It was like eat when you could, like it was bedtime. So, you know, we stayed up late. We pretty much watched what we want, wanted. Um, and then some of that was good and it, it, there was a certain amount of freedom, but then that it also, and you raised, I, I also raised an artistic kid, but, um, and then to have to teach myself structure, discipline in my own, you know, life to show up at work on time, you know, and to know that that's really important. There's consequences in, a, in my industry. If you don't show up on time at work on a set, Mm. that's like a mark against you and you get you can get fired for that it's like you cannot do that you can't hold up a whole company money so these things that were things that i just kind of as a kid my mother was always late you know and it drove it drove me crazy and so i think probably seeing that i was like i'm not going to be that so i almost went the other direction i was I'm like super on time all the time 10 minutes early to everything you know to make sure that i'm not late little things like that that you know i had to teach myself um and 
Also, I'm super grateful for the way I did grow up because I was around and surrounded by incredible music, musicians, incredible. I was at the Philadelphia Folk Festival um, a lot. Uh, a young kid at Woodstock, you know, but don't remember anything except the mud. And I just was one of those, I, I was a hippie kid and a happy hippie kid. And even though there was a lot of dysfunction kind of in our family dynamics, you know, at the time, my dad got sober at the end of his life, but, you know, we grew up with alcoholism and, and, and that kind of stuff and codependence and all those things that can really, you know, build a person to be, uh, like set them on a course of choosing dysfunctional things in their lives. Right. So anyway, but music saved my life. Nick. Mm. It always did. It was, all, I was always around it. And for some, even as a small kid, my first, I remember, you know, like needing my own space. And especially I think when Patricia was born and we had to share a room and here's this beautiful little angel baby, but like, I wanted my own, like I, it was just like suddenly I didn't have my own space. So I built, made this little space inside my closet and I had a record player and I play Sergeant Pepper, you know? And I, it's so funny, the songs in that time that I loved, like George Harrison within, <laughs> like those, those are like, those are the, like that's, that, you know what I mean? I was really, I'd listen to it by myself. I loved, I loved, loved the Beatles growing up. They were playing everywhere. My, my godfather's Hamilton camp. And he was in a band called Gibson and Camp. He was also a huge influence on Neil Young. Mm. He was my godfather. And he's got, he's got some amazing records, which you should check out, Hamilton Camp. His solo albums are really great. And we grew up with uh, him and his kids. And Coffee Houses in New York. Um, uh, I remember Odetta as a kid, Lauren Nero and, and uh, Joan Baez and Dylan, of course, um, which were friends with my, my family. Let's, let's, let's work our way into these questions then a little bit, because you're, you're sort of starting the interview without me. Oh, I'm just like wandering about music. No, it's great. What is your first musical memory? Oh, so, okay. So my first musical memory, well, I just remember being in, in coffee houses, uh, you know, seeing, seeing, um, at the time it would, it, like Odetta and, and, and a lot of people around in New York where they stuck me and I was sleeping, you know, across the chairs in coffee house, like where they're performing in, in New York city, where, where they would do all the hootenanny things, you know, like as, mm-hmm. kid, as I mean, it, my parents were young and I was, young. I was, a, I was probably three. So you were just taken along for the, for, for the happenings. I absorbed it, which was, you know, it literally went into my DNA and it was part of my being was definitely music. What was the first music you, you bought with your own money? I think it was the Jackson 5. Well, I really, really loved the Jackson 5 when I was a kid. I, lo- I always loved soul, you know, music, black music I, uh, so much. James Brown as a kid, and Aretha. My mother played Aretha Franklin all the time. So I was going to say, what was being played around the house? Well, everything that I talked about was, was the Beatles and Dylan and Joan right. Baez. Judy Collins, I remember there's, there's this record that it's like yellow with the wildflowers or something that I remember the cover and um but there's a song sunny good street on it and Alexis when he was a baby when Alexis was a boy at that time as a baby um I would call I would babysit and just dance around to that song and calm calm him down her down but him down they don't <laughs> which you would say now <laughs> so right now there's like this really weird backlash against not just the freedoms of uh, women to make choices with their own body, but the freedoms for people to be who they are. And if we can just get serious for a second in the middle of this, you know, the fun part of this, 
you know, as somebody who, who has a family member in, in, in that world, where do, you, where do you see that stuff going right now? Oh my gosh, if Alexis is alive right now, uh, the fury. And um, we're, we're going to also be, you know, as a family, we'll be fighting really hard against all, all of this is fascism and all of this is control. So we're going to be doing everything we can to fight against that. And it's just like the same people that were, you know, refusing to get a vaccine to protect other people, which is, you know, their choice, my body, my choice. This is just like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like you're telling us that we're, we have women are, don't have control of their own bodies. <laughs> it's like insane. And they're going after the trans uh, community, the LGBTQ community in every way, shape or form right now. That's what, that's going to be the next thing to go is gay marriage. You know, we see this going on the chopping block. And it's terrifying. And all the more reason that everybody needs to make sure that they, they look and really vote. At this point, there's, you can't screw around. Like right now, we do have to vote for the Democrats. We just do to get a center part of this because there's no, there's no going back from this fascism. And um, right now, I'm just going to be voting for me. I'm voting all the way, the Democrat all the way right now. It's just, it's just bigotry and racism. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah, I think it's the hypocrisy that's the most terrifying part about it. Well, okay, so with all the boring, like depressing, yeah. negative stuff that is actually happening in our lives right now, the savior for me to like tune everything out is like music. Now, you know, I, I love hearing new music. I love hearing, but I haven't, I haven't heard stuff that's just knocking me out. Like, mm. tell me, you, you would know. Um, I love the poetry of a lot of rappers that are great. And I love anyone who has that gift of making music I like to listen to and give a chance to, sure. You, you mentioned going to uh, coffee houses with, you, with your parents as a kid and that being obviously your exposure to live music for the first time. What was the first concert you went to without your parents? The first concert I went to without my parents was at the San Monica Civic Center. I was 13 and I went to see the Jackson 5 by myself. Oh, by yourself. Yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. Can you describe the feeling? I love live music. So I stood and like screamed. And I remember, you know, people were watching me. They, I think they were cracking up because I just was so excited. I, I, you know, that's also so sad, you know, and then everything that happened with Michael, but um, mm. I'm terrible and sad for the kids. What do you listen to when you want to dance? James Brown, for sure. If James Brown will just get you dancing. Just that's that James Brown's going to get you up and get you dancing. What, what do you listen to if you're, if you're feeling sad? Probably Joni Mitchell. <laughs> put on some Joni. Joni will always, you know, her lyrics and everything will always, I, I'll put Joni on. I'm a huge Radiohead fan. I love Radiohead so much. I know that about you. Yeah. Five million times and I love them. Yeah. Um, you know, got to know them a bit and recorded, uh, the solo stuff of Tom. I got to film him at the, the Orpheum. You know, and I had like five red cameras and filmed that concert. Talking of filming, do you, do you have a favorite music video? God, music videos, those days. God. I know it seems, it seems so long ago now. I mean, people obviously still make music videos, but they're, you know, online and how many people see them unless it's, you know, Adele or Doja Cat or something. But I remember, like, I mean, some great ones. I'm, of course, I probably, I mean, I, Peter Gabriel made some good ones. <laughs> he did. I mean, damn, he was... Groundbreaking! Yeah, I see he's he's got a new album uh, on the way. Have you heard it? I have not, but it's a guy who used to take ten years between albums, and then I think it's twenty or I think more. It's, it's on, on, maybe on, a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. 
going to be exciting to see what he comes comes back with. I, I um, don't think he's got a beautiful um, closing door for piano that I got him for his 40th birthday because, you know, we used to be together. So um, maybe he'll go more acoustic and and that kind of vibe. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously you guys were together for a while back back then. Uh, the, the music that he was making back then was just stunning uh, at that time. I, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, like he, no, I mean the drumming, and African drumming, and he... he you know, he brought, I, I, if, I don't know if anybody, if people don't know this soundtrack, but the soundtrack to um, The Last Temptation of Christ, the Martin Scorsese film. Groundbreaking. He did Groundbreaking the, soundtrack. He to that, and it's it's such an incredible score. It really I just is. I listened to it recently. I just like put it on because I had I was kind of really around that record a lot in the studio, and we went to Morocco, and it was just, it's such an important master. It's a masterwork. It really is. It really is. It changed the way um, people thought of music for film at the yep. at the time. No, no yep. doubt. Do you have a recent musical discovery? I and mean, it's not recent, but and, and not at all. I mean, I'm like, I just, I love Tribe. I love, I love, I love Q-Tip, and I love uh, Tribe, and I love the stuff he does. I love Beck, like his old stuff. You know, right. um, when when we say recent musical discovery, it doesn't have to be a new band. It could be just something that's new to you that you know you've heard that, that has inspired you. Well, she's not new, but it's just like last, the last real 10 years, I think I, I love Laura Marley, you know, I think she's a great artist. That's a good call. I, oh, this, I like this Faye, Faye Webster. Yes. I love her. She's fabulous too. Yeah, I just, just I discovered her. Yeah. Um, um, I got turned on to a band that I love to listen to sometimes. It's like just the amazing musicians, the, the Delta Saints. Yes. Yeah, they're cool. But there's just, there's so many wonderful artists and um, I, I, I'd like to hear, you know, new stuff. If there's anything you're telling, you know, anything to turn me on to, I, I could use it. I've been, I've been listening to a lot of old music because it just seems to, it's kind of making me feel safe and feeling like we're going to be okay in this time that we grew up, like this, a lot of seventies, a lot of the artists that we've been talking about, like, you know, Dylan and Neil Young and like a, a lot, of, a lot of that. And Laura Nero, great, Laura, you know, old music that I love and grew up with. I've been listening to that a lot yesterday because it somehow is comforting me. You know, clearly the way people listen and discover music is it's completely different from from what it was when you and I were growing up and discovering music. The music business is so fragmented now. It's hard for, you know, something to break through and, you know, be heard yeah. by lots of people because everybody's got their own little world. Everybody's got their own little genre and, and, and subgenre. Uh, and the artists that you're talking about, you know, if you go back to the activism of the 60s, obviously, um, there, there was no Spotify. There was no satellite radio. It's like it was a small gate for music to get through. So it was the DJs that would break, break, you know, the Rodney Binghams, like, like that would break music, break the artists. Right. So it's, it's, it's a little more difficult to discover these days, but my daughter tells me that she discovers most music through television. Um, or the scores, cause the people who are doing the, using the scores, like a television show and they use a song. Yeah, because the way songs are, are now used in, in television and it's been something, you know, I've worked in music supervision a little bit and it's, I know you've been in that world, right? Yes, but I was going to say just recently, because of Stranger Things, they, or was it Stranger Things, they did, did Running Up the Hill. I'm a huge Kate Bush fan, so one of my favorite artists. And I saw her concert that she did in London about five years ago. Yeah, about seven or eight years ago. Lucky you. It was, I saw it twice. It was in, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it was amazing and so exciting to be there. So, um, but that, so that years later, how many years later, almost 40 years um, later that uh, running up the hill is a hit. Yeah. Isn't it? I love that. 
Well, it's fascinating. I, I, I guess, you know, the, the idea being that music is now discovered, you know, in, in completely different ways than a radio DJ. I mean, obviously that's a world I worked in for a long, long time. Um, but kids are not discovering the music that way. Well, hell, kids are not even listening to the radio. It's just a whole different place where they actually hear uh, and, and, and learn about music. But one of the things that I love about a show like Stranger Things is that they've got music from the 80s in particular because that's when it's set. Um, but they're turning people on, kids on, uh, to music like the Kate Bush thing. And all of a sudden, you know, music that should have had a wider audience years and years ago now does. And it kind of brings me to a, a question. Do you have an artist that you love, but you feel that perhaps they never quite got the big, big break that they, they should have gotten? Well, I mean, he died so young, but Jeff Buckley was genius, man. And I think that, you know, that would be like bringing his music up front and center and his you know his dad was tim buckley and his records are really cool mm. uh it would be great to re bring out his his stuff because he never i think he was going to be huge he was I, I think as well and only one actual album while he was uh, alive as you know and uh he made that album up in woodstock in the bearsville studios which is where i was living at the time and just a, a little aside to to the audience as much as to to yourself uh, i was working up there at the time that's where i got my break in radio and my girlfriend at the time was a, a musician and we got a call uh, at the station saying, uh, has anybody down there got a guitar? There's a guy at Bearsville who wants to do a set down at the Tinker Street Cafe. And, and I said, well, let me call Abba, my, my, my partner at the time. I called her and uh, I said, well, maybe she'd like to open up and do a couple of songs. So we found ourselves in the Tinker Street Cafe, literally with like 10, 15, no, no more than 20 people, a couple of people from the studio. And he just did, you know, she played a couple of songs and she gave him her guitar, and then he played a set. That's my Jeff Buckley story. It's not I a bad one. Story, but what a great, how about, how was the set? Were you blown away? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, Jeff Buckley, what a, what a great one to, to turn people onto. I would say that's, I, I would definitely do that. Um, suggest that. And, um, well, great female artists. There's so many great musicians. Um, you know, I love old soul music. So like a lot, you know, so I find myself, especially, oh, so great to see that what was the incredible documentary that just won the Oscar? It was oh, uh, um, Quest, Quest Love's thing. Quest Love's masterpiece of this concert that happened that, you know, footage was hidden, you know, for 50 years and he, you know, redid it. And I, my God, just all the artists in that and that itself, you know, for people to see these these incredible artists that we love, um, but young in their time and, and get to see them live and hear that. I think that was really inspiring for me. Summer of Soul, is that what it was called? I did not drink any caffeine today and I don't usually do it. <laughs> I'm trying to get off it and it's definitely affecting my brain. Well, I, I, I should point out that we're, we're actually recording this early on a Saturday morning and I, yeah. I think, you know, we're both just sort of getting our days going here. So it's the, you know. it's the whatever, it's the 4th of July weekend, which I'm definitely not celebrating until, you know, we have real independence. It does feel weird this time around, doesn't it? I mean, it's been feeling weird for a couple of years, but this one in particular, uh, this, you know. This is just, I don't think many people I know, I don't know anybody that's really, uh, is, is really uh, celebrating. Do you have um, an artist that you would describe as a, a guilty pleasure? There was a period of like where, I mean, I love the, Brian, uh, the Beach Boys Pet Sounds is an, is an incredible album, right? Mm. I never, like, I, I loved Caroline and I got like, but I never got into listening to that record um, in a way that I listened to music um, deeply. I mean, I, the Smile record, he's a genius. I mean, he really is. And Smile's really great. But like actually 
listening to that record with speakers at at ZEF, I rediscovered it. Having listened to it, you know, in my 20s a lot, you know, like around, but like, oh, that's a cool record. But actually listening to the the production of that record and what he did, it's a, it really is something. How do you listen to music these days? Do you still have a record player? Do you still have a sound system? Do you listen on the phone? I love collecting records and I do have a record collection. I do love sitting and putting on a record and listening to the scratch of it and the skip. I love listening to vinyl. I love it. But when I, I do, I have to say, you know, I do listen to Spotify sometimes, you know, like, I mean, I, I, yeah. I did go off Spotify for a long time. The Joe Rogan thing really was annoying as fuck, but, um, you know, here we are. Well, that's how we listen to music. You know, those yeah. are the tools, tools of the well, trade. And, I making, guess. and making the playlists from Spotify, I love. And my daughter, actually, Zoe, is her dad, you know, was a mu- music supervisor. I-, I love music. She is a, like, she has the greatest ears of anybody I know. And, and she's really getting into music herself and singing a little bit. She's right. just one of the best actresses in, in Brooklyn Film Festival. And she's, congratulations, um, Zoe. I, She's really talented and, um, but her, her playlists are amazing. <laughs> so she always sends me great stuff. Right. So you discover stuff from her, maybe a little bit. Yeah. I've got a Spotify playlist. I'll send you the, the link, the stuff I go through oh, it every, what? yeah, I go through stuff every week and put you it should out. check her out. So he blew to her stuff is so good. I, will. I love her music. Yeah. It's been great talking to you as we wrap up, um, the, the conversation, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning about this moment politically in America that just feels so scary. I mean, I'll be honest with you, you know, for me, uh, you know, I've been watching this. I've been living in America for 30 odd years now and uh, loved being here. I'm an American citizen. And uh, but for me in the last you know, couple of years, all of a sudden things just shifted to such a dramatic place that it really feels kind of dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dark guns and violence and racism and hatred. And I mean, where is the love? And that's the difference between the protest and the time of that we grew up in my parents, you know, the sixties and, and the anti-Vietnam war marches and stuff. It was all about love and what we're like, like, where can we find that and put it back into, you know, I, I don't think these people even know what the word means. They don't care. They're just about control and keeping their, you know, white old men uh, narratives. And um, it's not going to sustain itself, you know, if we end up blowing ourselves up. But I really have faith in young people because they care about the planet and this is their world. And we've had our time. We really fucked it up for them. And uh, there's so many incredible young people that are activists that are doing things. So people just need to vote. Yeah. Vote, vote, register to vote. No matter, no one, no, ever. you have to vote. You have to. Like, no, I'm going to sit this one out. It doesn't make a difference. No, it does. Your vote really, really makes a difference. That one vote can really make a difference. So please vote. That's what I yeah. would say. Yeah. So, so my last question is, is how are you feeling right now? And, you know, I think you probably just told me. I had a big cry I, this morning. I felt hopeless. I felt, um, I did some Kriya yoga. I knew I was going to talk to you. I, I was um, trying to like, I just feel really, you know what? I, I just feel incredibly sad like this deep sadness and grief for many things in my life, but the, the ultimately the collective grief that we're all feeling um, in the world right now. So let's like, let's change that and get some joy back into the world and, and just try to get back to a place. It, it never really was, but we, you know, until they eradicate racism, um, it's never going to be okay. 
So Rosanna, you and you and I have a, a couple of mutual friends. I haven't had the opportunity to see you um, for for a few years. It's been great catching up with you. Thanks for for coming and talking about music, and obviously talking about the world. Thanks for being on the sound of success. Oh, thank you, Nick, and keep send me your music because music saves. The Sound of Success is hosted and produced by myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple, sparknetwork.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>